I found a way to tell the truth. An invitation to see what I see. Not to be understood. But to recognize that there's always more. Close your eyes. Look. See. Welcome to this year's Sound of the Year Awards, in which we'll be celebrating the sonic achievements of 2022. I'm Naomi Paxton, a researcher, performer and broadcaster, and your host for the evening, alongside Matthew Herbert, who will be familiar to many of you as the composer and director of the Radiophonic Institute. Hi, hi. It's nice to... Nice to be here. It was always a bit of a dream, like, let's do this thing. It sounds real, Sound of the Year Awards. So I'd like to play you the winning Sound of the Year from last year, and then I'll talk about it afterwards. things that I like about sound is I like trying to picture and trying to create and use the little clues that you've got there so you can hear a little bit of echoing of the call from the bird which suggests that it's near a hill or it's near near something it's actually eagles in California during a wildfire but I think it's after the wildfire so you can still hear the helicopter trying to put it out you've got the sense of height you know you've got two things up above human activity or the most of human activity. And, you know, one of the things I love about sound and music is just the movement of air. And here you have two very different ways of moving air. You've got one which is a bird call and this extraordinary noise that it's making. The other is this helicopter, which is much uglier, repetitive, sort of more uh, of a, a bass rumble and things like that. just this contrast of these two things happening at once I think is really compelling and it offers you something you've got a, a bird in distress and you've got some a machine that we've made but we're kind of absent in a way I'd like to introduce um, Alana Wise having been helping us for for a while now um, on these awards. As a judge, were you? Do you have any expectation of what kind of sounds that you might get this year or in previous years? Has it? Have you had an expectation of what people might record or might think is worth capturing? I guess what what's surprising is when you think sound of the year, you can kind of think of one sound as the. That difficulty with the word, it's both singular and plural, right? So people think sound and it's like, it's going to be a cough for the pandemic. And it'll be like, that will be the sound. <laughs> um, but it's actually recordings. It's recordings of, of the year, which have all of the messy quality that a recording has. So, yeah, all of the world within it. And that, that's what I'm so interested in, in sound and in these recordings is hearing all of those layers, not just the one thing that they're capturing, but maybe the things that are accidentally in there or the kind of foreground background could you you were really engaged i remember last year with the sound of an air show right 
Can you talk a little bit about that? Because I think what's interesting for me is the storytelling aspect of sound that you're interested in that you really picked up on in that clip. Yeah, it's a similar story in a way to the winner, but it was a cicada, and I think it's one cicada, two? It sounds singular, and it's at an air show in Canada, and there's it starts with the sound of people sort of selling ice creams and it's quite jolly and you kind of don't really know it sounds like kind of a fair or something and there's this cicada and the cicada's there all the time as this character through it with one kind of lone cicada and then you realise that it's an air show and the cicada stops momentarily and then just continues on going and there's... It just felt so brilliant that that moment was captured. And it's not a high-tech recording, but the, the kind of human, the animal, and the, the sort of big drama and the mundanity of it and the fact that that animal viewpoint is still going on. And I, I guess, yeah, what's interesting there is where she's pointed the microphone allowed that perspective to come through. And I think particularly because we're asking people to record disappearing sounds or best naturally occurring sounds, um, but also because it's such a predominant theme in all our lives at the moment. But climate change becomes really critical and sort of runs like a theme through all of it about people trying to preserve something. There was a great article in the LRB this week, a piece about uh, Wild Isles, the David Attenborough show, and saying that these BBC documentaries, and I guess to a certain extent what we're recording here, will have lost all the animals, but we'll end up with these recordings, like the sort of digital version of the the tiger rug, sort of splayed splayed on the floor, that that's all we'll have left in a way. Maybe we should hear one. This is from the disappearing sound category, a curlew recording that you particularly liked. So can I ask you a little bit then, uh, or just to have this conversation in public with me, because we talk about this all the time when we're judging about the basis on which you're judging. And disappearing sound is a particularly difficult category because you're judging different qualities of loss in a way of like different stories about which story is worth saving as well as which sound. So, you know, do you take into account or do collectively do we take into account the technical aspect of the recording? There's a, there's a compositional element to the really interesting recordings, I think, which is that there's change, something arrives in the scene and maybe because, like, as a storyteller, that's something that I'm interested in. So, yeah, the story, the sense of composition and the juxtaposition of elements. So like I was saying before, that it's not just a brilliant recording of a cicada. It's the cicada stopping when there's an explosion and continue on going. That's a story. There's, a, there's poetry there. I think it's actually more, more like a poem than it is like a story, but in the same way that poetry has this relationship to sound and forward motion and time. Um, I think that's what's so interesting about those brilliant, brilliant recordings. There's something ineffable about them. And like judging disappearing sound, I mean, it is so hard because, you know, the curlews, it's beautiful. There was other birds. There was the orangutan. And I was like, am I just killing off 
<laughs> this orangutan by not, you know, and that was a great recording as well. So it's, it's really hard to say, but I think it's the layering and the kind of the different, um, the complexity maybe of the recording. Yeah, and in fact, our winner of the very first year was a Black Lives Matter recording of a protest, but they had also submitted a recording in parallel, to be played in parallel, of a police radio backwards and forwards covering a Black Lives Matter protest. So you had those two things side by side. Um, okay, well, look, Alana Chance, I called you Alana Wise at the beginning. I don't I know like what that. happened yeah, there. Awesome. Alana the Wise <laughs> yeah, is what I should have said. Um, but uh, thank you for joining me. I'll see you in a minute. And we'll, I think we're on with our first award. Brilliant. Thank you, Matthew and Alana Chance the Wise. A note before we start. Some of the sounds that you'll hear this evening come from difficult or unhappy and sometimes tragic circumstances. And of course, we have a dedicated award category for unpleasant sounds. So please be forewarned and take appropriate measures if you think this might cause you distress. I will repeat the warning nearer the relevant moments too. So, off we go. Best Natural Sound in partnership with the Natural History Museum. This award is being introduced by Christian Ching, ecologist and artist from the Natural History Museum. Hi, my name is Christian. I am a soundscape ecologist. So I focus on biophony, so sounds created by organisms across our world. And a very interesting point relating to Alana and Matthew's point about stories is that every single organism on our planet that creates sound has evolved over millions and millions of years. And each of these genetic codes represents a sound in some part of it. These sounds and calls or behaviors that create sounds have things that have been refined across the history of our planet. So I work half of the year in London, um, in the Natural History Museum. Past it being a tourist destination is a big repository. So you can think of it as a library. Instead of books, you have flesh and specimens. And all these specimens represent a specific species in a specific place in a specific time, and they give us a representation of our natural world in history and our present day. And then I compare the data from our history uh, to the rainforests in Cambodia, where I work on freshwater ecosystems within a mountain range that flows into a lake. What I go do is I go onto the rainforest and I put audio recorders throughout a large section of, that flows through a river. And I look at the sounds of different animals that are calling in these areas. And that largely uses AI classifiers nowadays, um, which involves going out there and recording these animals quite a lot and then building your algorithms based on that. But past that, once you have this idea of biodiversity within an area, we, are, we now are able, through sound technology, to monitor biodiversity for a much cheaper cost as compared to back in the day. You would have to send people out into the forest trekking for weeks at a time, and doing very specific types of trapping or uh, finding and catching of these animals. But with new technologies, we're able to bring this science to other places of the world for much cheaper, and we're able to train people to these, do these things as well. But sound is also being used across the field of natural history in other ways. So you're able to like differentiate different mosquito species through the frequencies of their wing beats and be able to log different species moving across the world due to climate change, your temperature variations, your tidal shift flows, and all these other things. So I would just like to say, for the people working in sound, please continue working on it, because the technology that you guys build helps 
all these other factors in our world, including natural history and science. Tantalising stuff. Thank you very much, Christian Ching and the Natural History Museum. So let's turn to our first shortlist in alphabetical order of title. The runners-up for best natural sound are as follows. Bombina, Bombina, Mysterious Call, Jakub Orzeki, Poland. In the middle of Giants, Pablo Caquiera, Brazil. Photosynthetic beats, Utricularia, Ludwig Berger, Switzerland. The Sniffing Rock, Manieristic, UK. <laughs> the winner of the category for best natural sound is Autumn Nightfall at Ravoise Pond, Jocelyn Robert, France. Judge Chris Watson noted of this winner that Jocelyn Robert's sublime recording of a French lakeside across sunset gave us a moment to reflect on how eloquent the natural world can be if we simply leave it to speak for itself. So next up is the most unpleasant sound category, um, awarded in partnership with the UK Hearing Conservation Association. This is a complex category referring to unhappy or disturbing sounds, some of distress or which cause distress. Previous winners and nominees have included the sounds of military jets flying overhead, neighbours drilling walls during lockdown, <laughs> the atmosphere of refugee camps, bombings in Tel Aviv and Gaza. So it's a strange but very important category if you can bear to listen. Uh, let me invite to the stage David Greenberg, the co-founder of our partner, the UK Hearing Conservation Association. Good evening, everyone. What an emotive category. Certainly some amazing sounds that we're going to hear, but I just wanted to share some thoughts about uh, our sense of hearing and what gives us the ability to enjoy this evening. The work at the UK Hearing Conservation Association is all about protecting the sense of hearing, uh, both in recreational environments, but also at work. Uh, where there fortunately are laws to protect people from overexposure to, to noise. Now, my personal journey started off as a clinical audiologist in the NHS, working with people who have lost their hearing most typically, uh, maybe are suffering from tinnitus, very often as a result of noise exposure, very often from work. 
and they would visit me in the hospital and I would do some diagnostic tests and I'd say, unfortunately, there's nothing we can do, but here is a hearing aid um, and let's get on with it. That was really quite a depressing situation for people who were desperate for a solution for their lost hearing. And for me, there was no solution from within the NHS. The NHS is fantastic at looking for cures for things, but very challenged when it comes to preventing disease. Uh, hearing loss and tinnitus, there currently is no cure established. And so that, that led me to leave the, uh, the NHS uh, and actually try and change the way that the NHS thinks about disease, especially sensory diseases such as hearing loss and tinnitus. And my PhD then was in auditory neuroscience because if you have the evidence to say it's more beneficial to society to prevent this in the first place than it is to try and cure it after the fact, especially if there's no cure, maybe we'll be getting somewhere. Five years later, I concluded that academia isn't for me. Um, <laughs> even so, the PhD was a fantastic experience. I did a couple of postdocs afterwards, all in the space of neuromodulation as a result of, of noise exposure. And after that, um, I started the UK Hearing Conservation Association with four directors, uh, and we have partners across industry. I now am the, the CEO and founder of a company that works in hearing protection, and it, this category in particular brings me back to why I started in the first place. I was involved in a campaign around one of my least favourite sounds, which is the screeching on the London Underground, especially around Camden and Euston. Oh... <laughs> It's about 110 decibels of just high-pitched noise. Um, so we did an exercise where we said, you know, we're going to map the noise on the entire London underground. So it was an amazing experience to, to kind of think about unpleasant sounds, and it's very fitting, unfortunately, that I'm introducing this category. Thank you so much for supporting this initiative, and please take care of your hearing. A warning before we hear the shortlist and winning sounds. Some of these recordings may cause distress. The runners-up are as follows. Silence of Sirens, Kyiv, Philip Markovich, Ukraine. <laughs> Solitary seal pup screeching in Horsey Beach, Joe Harvey White, UK. War over nature, jet fighters training over wildlife conservation sanctuary, Samuel Monceau, Taiwan. turbine like fingernails on a chalkboard. Rick Hannon, United States. <laughs> the winner of the category most unpleasant sound is calf trying to breathe after dehorning. Melia Roger, France. In her submission, Melia notes how, quote, violence can be so silent. Having a close recording of this calf not being able to breathe makes the situation of the milk industry very hard to listen to you. You hear the stillness, how peaceful and quiet the rest of the place is with the distant birds and chatting. But still, this calf is suffering and no one hears it.
next is the category composed with sound in partnership with accidental records. The runners-up for this category are Broken Metronome Concrete, Owen Duff, UK. Conversations at the Edge of the World, Emma Kate Matthews, UK. Wonderwash, Berk Offset, Germany. Winner of the category composed with sound is Mimpi Owa, a duet with Javanese Gibbons, Gardika Gigi Pradipta, Indonesia. He describes this composition as a collaboration with the Javanese Gibbons in Petan Kriono Forest, Central Java, Indonesia, as a reflection on the relationship between nature and us in the current climate crisis. Um, this was quite an odd category, this one, actually, because when we first started Sound of the Year Awards, there wasn't this category, but we ended up getting a lot of submissions from people that had taken Sound and manipulated it and turned it into something. We wanted to acknowledge that, and actually we've since gone on to have quite a lot, hundreds of entries, actually, for this, so it feels good to, to do it. And um, it gives me great pleasure to introduce um, Drew and Martin from Matmos. So, Sound, what is it? It's about desire desire for the real and that's my pompous philosophical sentence to get us rolling <laughs> okay great so this is a sort of show busy story I don't, I don't mean it to be show busy like this but i was first introduced to matt moss's music by bjork backstage at a festival in spain and it was the first time i'd met her and she grabbed me and she's like come and listen to these guys making music out of a balloon <laughs> and uh, and so we went to her trailer and we listened on repeat to a balloon song. But since then, uh, they've mu made music from all sorts of things, washing machines, different types of plastic and plastic waste. And one of the most important and interesting records I think that they've made is A Chance to Cut, A Chance to Cure, made from uh, plastic surgery operations. And so I guess my first question to you would be, having worked with sound over a number of years now, I wondered how your relationship with sound has changed. Like, do you take it more seriously now than you did? Or do you treat it more casually? Do you treat it just purely as materials? Or are you more and more engaged in actually the, the sort of the context and the things around it? How, how has that shifted for you over the years? 
Well, first of all, it's a delight to be here and to be in conversation with you because whether or not Bjork realized it, a lot of our ideas were stolen from listening to your Dr. Rocket 10 inch <laughs> here where you were making tracks out of cameras and rocks. So, you know, I feel like there's there was a kinship there. We were like, the risk of getting busted is extremely low. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, to, to ask about sound and whether our attitude towards sound has changed over the years, I feel like I've watched a culture explode around social media and the rise of the internet. And at times it makes me feel defensive about something that I think of as embattled somehow, which is music. Music used to be this locus of people's identification and maybe culture has shifted in how we use music, but that's really different from sound, sound as such. And I think the desire for sound and the capacity to take pleasure in sound shows up no matter how culture changes. So when things go viral now and it says sound on, it's because you really want to hear that little piece of metal dropped down uh, a drill into the core of the earth's ice. And maybe you hear that sound as sound and it just sounds like a science fiction noise, but maybe it makes you think about how much ice there is and how long there'll be that much ice. That is sound ripples out into politics and meaning, but it's also a material fact. And I think that's what's so rich about it. As far as how Whereas music doesn't, and it's just stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and um, go on, go on, Drew. Well, in terms of, yeah, like changing over time, I feel like our decision is usually about, based on a project, how much or how little do we want to think about the sound as material phenomena and how much do we want to think about its poetics or its, its politics. And so some records ask you to do that and then some for us don't and and that might be a way of thinking about the the way music and sound require each other but are not equivalent you know you can have sheet music and no sound you can have sound that if there's nobody around to hear it they can't perceive what's musical about the sound uh so yeah for us i guess this is my cheap answer it depends <laughs> <laughs> but do you know, do you, has it changed do you think by working with it because i feel one of the things that I felt really keenly is that my brain and my imagination is only beginning to really catch up with the possibilities and the opportunities that sound affords. So you mentioned cameras and rocks. That's because that's what I had lying around in my house. Uh -huh. And because I couldn't think of anything at that time, I couldn't quite think that I, I might make it out of a, a pig's life or a horse skeleton later on. You know, it's taken 20, 30 years for my imagination to catch up and see those possibilities. And I wondered... What have you learned by, from, by playing with the materials of itself, manipulating it and working with it? Has that changed your relationship with it somehow? I think there's a sense of patience and trust that I wish I always had. You know, I'm not the Buddha. I don't always have the most patient attitude, but I think the security of knowing that something might not be useful to me right now, but 10 years from now, 20 years from now, I might find that file and return to it and, and it opens up an enormous amount for me. And so trusting that it's worth preserving, that sounds are worth preserving. I mean, I bring it up not just because you're at the British Library where we know a lot of people spend a lot of time digitizing sound and archiving sound and passing it forward like a relay race to the future. So I think that feeling that's, that recording technology is, is a form of memory and a form of preservation and that there's something maybe urgent about the stakes of uh, every time you hit record you don't know what afterlife that sound might have. 
But do you feel like that's changed for you over time? I know you're not answering his question. I don't have a great answer for it. Okay, so I uh, I stopped working at a school and I live in a different city than I used to years ago. And now I just sort of work with, not in any formal way, but like with individual kids. Like I have a new best buddy. He's 21. He was like you're going to show me all about like sound stuff. I mean, he never even said it. It was just, we, we just do it. And when, when we go out and like, he's got the microphones and I've got the headphones and we don't speak and we're having that imminent sound recording. This could be something in the future. This is what it is right now. I, all those emotions flood back to me about how exciting and vital every little like, creak and bump and XLR noise is. Yeah. So I wonder, you know, like so many things, am I just returning to the pet, like youthy, youthful past? I'm not pickier anymore. I don't think I'm like, I'm more refined as a result of decades of work. I feel like I still feel voracious and I still feel like everything might have a use. So, so I don't know if it's a model of like, you get better and better. I'm not sure about that. I think it might be that every day, in a weird way, you hit reset and like every day sound gives you something potentially new, but you have to let yourself be open to it. You have to like open the window, you know? I'm going to try and ask it in a different way, okay? Which is, a, <laughs> which is about ethics and about context. And for example, if you're taking the sound of an operation of somebody, somebody having a yeah. nose job like you did, what responsibilities do you have to those people people to the circumstance around that to the sound itself if you're telling stories and you're inheriting these stories and you're working with these kind of interesting materials in a new way are you conscious of of those ethical questions around it or does it still ultimately do the, the joy of the materials and the yeah it's a really good trump? question and I, I think so i feel like there are things that i've sampled where i felt like it was incredibly intimate as a sound and yet it wasn't personal in the sense that nobody would hear that and know whose human fat was being sucked out of the cannula in the operating theater. So I felt like that was a super intimate recording, but not one that was about someone's individual stake. Uh, I took part in a lot of the protests against police brutality and against uh, an armed police force on my campus. And I recorded myself yelling with big crowds of people at protests. And I felt okay about that. But uh, an activist, Tawanda Jones, was speaking about the death of her brother on the campus of um, Morgan State University in Maryland. And I didn't feel like I could just take Tawanda's testimony about her brother and just sample it like that was just mine because I happened to hear her give that speech. So I think that feeling of ownership, do we own the events that happen to us? It really depends on the context and who you're with and what the stakes are. If you can walk away and feel like, yes, this is my sound to work with versus that's not my story to tell, or that's not me. You know, I don't think it's necessarily different from writing a memoir. You know, you have experiences, but they involve other people. Your life is always open to all these other lives that are rubbing against it. But what you do and what you take and what you think you own, that you have to have an ethics about that. How could you not? Yeah, good. Sadly, we've got to go, but I really, <laughs> I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're busy recording a record with loads of things we can't hear, which is ironic at the Sound of the Year Awards. Um, but thank you for your time.
Our next award is for Best Sound Innovation in Everyday Life in partnership with Quiet Mark, which recognises a new technology, appliance or technique made in 2022 that has improved day-to-day sound. Our runners-up this year are as follows. Music for PlayStation, Jesse Austin-Stewart, New Zealand. Mutations, Candida Borges, United States. Guide Me Across the Street, Leonard Marson, UK. And the winner of Best Sound Innovation in Everyday Life category is Valent Arotherm Plus, Valent UK. Valence Aerotherm Plus is one of the greenest heat pumps available on the market and is designed to exceed the heating requirements of today. It uses a natural refrigerant with an exceptionally low global warming potential and the product is very quiet. It can even be used in densely built up terraced housing estates. Now, our fifth award of the night is for best imagined sound, for a sound that doesn't exist other than in the written word, and is awarded in partnership with the South Bank Centre's National Poetry Library. Let me introduce Will René of the uh, National Poetry Library to say a few words. Hi, everyone. I'm Will René. I'm one of the librarians at uh, the National Poetry Library. As the poetry enthusiasts among you will already know, Uh, The library is located on level five of the South Bank Centre's Royal Festival Hall and we're home to the largest public collection of modern poetry in the world. When Sound of the Year Awards initially approached us to partner with them for Best Imagined Sound category in 2021, it couldn't have come at a better time. Uh, Sound was very much on our radar as we were working hard to build our historic collection of spoken word LPs, largely from the 60s and 70s. So now we have extensive collections of old and new sound poetry, dub poetry, jazz poetry, and all manner of audio experiments and collaborations that explore the use of the spoken word, or in some cases, non-verbal mouth sounds. These are freely available to listen to in the library if you do come and visit, and you can get a sense of the scale and variety of the National Poetry Library sound collections on an NTS radio series called Plastic Language. What makes the best imagined sound category unique is that it turns the focus of our listening from the sounds we hear in the external world uh, toward the internal world of the imagination. So the invitation to describe a sound that does not yet exist encourages people to make poetry in the truest sense, to use their inner ear and plumb the depths of the imagination, translating what's there into language that can be shared. So thank you for everyone, uh, to everyone who made this effort. And now, without further ado, I'll hand back to Naomi, who will read out the nominations and announce the winner of Best Imagined Sound. Our runners-up for this year comprise of the following nominees. Can They Hear It? Sarah Quinn, UK. Listen Like a Stone, Iris Chunsu Chang, Taiwan. Pitch for a Kinder Alphabet, James Carnes, South Africa, UK. The Big Noise, Geraint Edwards, UK. And these can be read in full on the Sound of the Year Awards website. And the winner of Best Imagined Sound is Clip Sound and Music, Imaginary Sounds, 
Clip UK. I'm thrilled to say that the Clip team are with us in person tonight, uh, joined by Rainbow, one of the young people involved in making the work, who'll be reading from their winning poem. I imagined a sound. It sounded like the earth's sigh, like whispers of tiny white mice, like the gentle snoring of faraway stars deep in slumber, and the sound of their dynamic dreams, like the sun's radiating rhythm. And the full poem is available to read on the Sound of the Year Awards website. Next up, Best Innovation in Sound Technology in partnership with Sound on Sound, which looks to awards 2022's most visionary sound technology. This year's runners-up are as follows. Photon Smasher, Clip UK. Moodsonic Soundscaping, Moodsonic, UK. Control, Tanzi Xiao, United States. <laughs> and the winner in the category of Best Innovation in Sound Technology in Partnership with Sound on Sound is... Sediment Narratif, Nicolas Rochette and Audiotopie, Canada. Nicola describes the work as, quote, an audio creation made for a very peculiar audio system presented as a quadraphonic underground sound system that can be heard and felt if you lie on the ground. Buried, it is invisible, that you can feel the vibrations and even understand a story with the audio wave passing through your whole body. Les rues d'Anne-Nauséam-sur-Mer sont enfin débarrassées de tout papier d'emballage. Now, the next category is rather special. Uh, disappearing sound, a sound worth saving, is awarded in partnership with the British Library. And I'm excited to share that all the shortlisted events for, uh, entries for this category excuse me, will be added to the British Library's Sound Archive, a prestigious honour indeed. For those who may not be aware, the British Library's Sound Archive is a treasure trove of sound recordings containing some of the most significant and extensive collections in the world. From the delightful chirping of songbirds to the poetic readings of modernist writers and the voices of the Windrush generation right up to the contemporary stories of COVID. The archive preserves a rich and diverse tapestry of sounds for future generations to cherish. So an important award. The runners-up for Disappearing Sound, a sound worth saving, are as follows. Changing Shifts, Chris Hales, Switzerland. Curlew Bubbling Song, Merlin Driver, UK. Gestures of Thor, Iceland, Pablo de Sorens, Germany.
Remouage, Sad del Bosco, Giuseppe Cordaro and Riccardo Caspani. And I'm pleased to say that the winner is Ryuhio Yochi Kamamura, Japan. This submission is The Sound of Drift Ice, recorded in Utero, Shiratoko, Japan, in March 2022. Every winter, a mixture of seawater and freshwater freezes in the Russian Sea and becomes drift ice, which gradually drifts to Shiratoko. Now, moving on to the children's category. In partnership with Minute of Listening, children are invited to create a graphic score and submit their own 60-second soundscape exploring the theme of ecosystems. We would like to showcase a submission that has been sent in by the Primitive Percussion Youth Orchestra from Cornholm Junior Infant and Nursery School, located in Yorkshire, here in the UK. Their teacher, Mark Williams, submitted this impressive work, which involves the class recreating the sounds of a Yorkshire clough, a steep-sided valley using a variety of found objects and instruments. Okay, finally, the big award of the evening, Sound of the Year 2022. It was an eventful year, you may recall, and more than ever, the nominees for this shortlist have made noble efforts to capture the spirit of the time. So as you've heard uh, already tonight, previous winners have included in 2020 an anonymous recording of the sounds of the Black Lives Matter protest and police communications in New York and Vancouver. And in 2021, uh, Jacob Job's field recording of bald eagles and wildfire helicopters during the fires that ravaged the Rocky Mountain National Park that year. So, what will capture the story of 2022? Before we hear our winning sound, a warning that the shortlist includes sounds that may be distressing to some. Our runners-up are as follows. Capra, the goat dance, Cosmin Sandu, Italy. <laughs> Community, Hamid Makfakiri, Canada. <laughs> Gestures of Thor, Iceland, Pablo de Sarenz, Germany.
King and Bells, Sheffield, Duncan Chapman, UK. One minute in Bakhmut, Ihor Babayev, Ukraine. And the winner of Sound of the Year 2022 is February the 26th, 12.07 a.m., Chernev, Anton Stuck, Austria. In response to this recording, Judge Chris Watson noted, year after year there are, unsurprisingly, common and significant themes, the natural world, the climate emergency, protest and warfare. Anton Stuck's capture of a moment in Ukraine was clearly the most powerful and moving experience for me as a judge. Давай. Что, подплиты или? Да. Забираем. Шмотки.